Hi everyone, uh, Patch here with another pre-show message. Uh, just a quick one this time. I'm not going to get into the habit of doing these. I just wanted to say, if you're wondering why Robin's audio sounds a little bit different this episode, it's because he recorded this on his lunch break uh, at his new job at the Wasteland Cryogenics Facility. Uh, if you're unsure what any of those words mean, uh, that's fine. We will go into more detail as the episode goes on. Um, I just thought I'd say... Robin's audio is a little bit tinny, but that's because he's not in his usual recording space. Uh, and if you're wondering why my audio sounds a little bit different right now, it's because I'm recording this message kind of impromptu. Uh, I haven't set up my recording space properly. Just wanted to squeeze this in here before the episode gets started. So, um, yeah, enjoy the show. Oh, hey, you made it. We weren't sure anyone was able to get the broadcast. We found this huge vault full of cool things from before the event. Yeah, do you want to come check it out? Welcome to the Don't Go Outside podcast. Hello, and, uh, and welcome, and I'm glad to be here today to talk to you about a plethora, a veritable menagerie of different topics. And um, yeah, rule number one, uh, we're not going to let Patch talk about Yakuza Zero for 18 hours. That's um, that fine. was a hell of, hell of an edit. I've not even picked um, up that game since before we recorded the last episode. I've been, really? I've been too distracted. <laughs> I, I do plan to go back to it, but we're not talking about it. Um, one thing I did want to follow up on, uh, yes. Unless you had more rules to, to cover. No, no, it was just the Yakuza ban. Okay, it's rule number one, no Yakuza. Uh, which is a good rule of thumb in life in general, I'd say. Keep the Yakuza out of your life, you'll probably be you probably do well. You should live a long time. Um, yeah, no, so follow up uh, from last episode. We had some off-the-record chat. Uh, after recording the last episode, I wanted to get your thoughts on Lovecraft Country. Are you still watching it? Are you keeping up? That is the piece of follow-up I wanted most. Cool. Yes, I have been keeping up. Um, and, you know, I am so glad that I specifically put in the disclaimer that I put in that, you know, I would go outside for Lovecraft County, but I'll only give it as the episodes progress and how good they are. Now, Lovecraft County has really managed to hit on like some extreme variances in, in quality of episodes um, yeah so it goes from like really goofy adventure um it's like national treasure kind of stuff national treasure yeah and love. <laughs> really sort of goofy adventure stuff um straight back into like serious social commentary mm. stuff and um, everything in between. And I would say that two episodes in particular, uh, the National uh, Treasure episode and then the sort of weird Space Age adventure episode. Right. Um, and they were both on the sort of wacky, goofy side, but because they managed to execute the social commentary side so well, it, it really maintains a sort of quality overall. So, so you've been, you know, so you've still been watching it. Then I thought you, I thought you dropped off. 
Um, I uh, I decided to to try and just I'm going to push through this this first season because I assume it's going to be a multiple season mm. kind of deal and just see see how we sit at the end see how it goes. Cool. Yeah, I I was really enjoying it. I I I've I've dropped off, but not because I don't like it. I just kind of I missed an episode and then missed another one, and I was like, ah, oh, I need to go back and watch multiple ones now. Um, but I got as far as maybe episode four or five, maybe the last one I saw, there was a lot of serious like body horror, which was like, I don't want to spoil anything for people who might be watching it. Um, but yeah, like the, the body horror episode with like the transfer, multiple transformations in one episode was just, that was the effects on that was crazy. And I don't think of like. I am not too sensitive when it comes to gore and stuff in films and TV, but that was, I was just like, oh my god, that's incredible how they've managed to make one person turn into another person look as horrible as possible. Yeah, it's it's incredible, that effect, and they have nailed that so well. And let me tell you, it gets more more extreme in that vein. Yeah. Um, one of the more... Uh, I don't know. It's one of my favorite body horror scenes that's ever happened. Yeah, it's really Maybe cool. Ever, that I've ever seen is in a later episode, which I recommend you just keep watching just to see that. Yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to it now. Uh, I think I just I kind of just dropped off for a bit, and I've started you know I started watching other stuff, um, which we'll talk about as the episode goes on. But uh, yeah, I just I I like the variation from episode to episode. It is very much like we. Uh, like we said when we first talked about it that it is an ongoing story but it's almost like an anthology like each episode is a different adventure but they're all kind of connected very loosely by the singular thread um and yeah no it's 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 cool man uh so yeah one to one to watch i'd say still still going outside for just haven't been outside for uh in a while yep i would absolutely agree with that um so um i'm gonna just hit it off with what what i've been what i've been watching recently yeah let me know um i i I mean just on the on the sides on the side of things i have been having a real terry pratchett kick i've read like three terry pratchett's um just you know it's it's a good time but you know we don't need to go in and discuss terry pratchett it's good it's it's silly it's really well written so i watched Midsummer recently. Oh, um, right. Okay, because uh, I've been recommended it by multiple people. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, the internet said it was really, really good. So I, I, I thought, you know what? Let's let's boot it up. Let's let's give it a little go. Um, I have been really, really disappointed by modern horror in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the most part, it just. What passes as horror for a lot of people, I, it just, you know, it doesn't scare me. It doesn't get into my bones. Yeah. Um, so Midsummer, you know, culty, isolated isolated groups, you know, yeah. it, it seemed pretty interesting. And now the, the, the one warning bell I had was this was by Ari Aster, the director, mm-hmm. and they also directed Hereditary, which, sure. I mean, we could talk about that, but, you know... Uh, Essentially, I thought was a steaming pile of human garbage. Oh, um, I've heard I've heard very good things about Hereditary. I've not seen it, but uh, exactly, okay. exactly. Everyone says these modern horror films are great. 
and as we'll get onto, they're not. <laughs> okay, um, okay, okay. So, so allow me, uh, allow me to drag this over the coals. Allow me to put this in the condo room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in with Marie Kondo's books. Hi. Um, so it start right. Anything that starts off with a depiction of mental health that is just offensively inaccurate is just. Yeah, I mean, that's a bad mark against your name. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it starts with a depiction of um, someone, the main, the protagonist's sister, who has has a manic depression, mm-hmm. uh, bipolar disorder, um, and it, they make a specific point in the dialogue of saying she has bipolar disorder, and then, oh God, she's got bipolar disorder, she's killed her parents and herself. Because that's um, what people with bipolar disorder famously do. Exactly. So, I, I mean, and the thing is, you didn't have to name mental illness. You could have just, you know, left it open that, you know, this person has has troubles mm-hmm. and they've they've acted in this way. But to specifically name a mental illness, then equate that mental illness to a certain behavior is just, one, it's sloppy writing. Two, it leans on people's general misunderstanding of mental illness. Yeah. And three, it just it's it's a shorthand that's lazy and offensive. So that was that was within the first sort of like fifteen minutes or so. Mm-hmm. So I mean you've already kind of lost me. Um and you've got my heckles up. Um so so that was that was just the start. But I I was like, okay, okay, I'll put this aside. This is something I'm particularly sensitive to, and I understand. Um, but okay, let's just stick that aside and let's let's watch the rest of it. And to be honest, I, I just thought it had the exact same problems that I had with Hereditary. So it, it essentially just builds up this level of tension in the first act and part of the second act that the rest of it just you know it builds checks that the rest of the film doesn't catch. Uh, it doesn't cash. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't cash rather. Uh, and it does the exact same move where it's this knee-jerk move into, into oh, we've built tension, bang, we're in a sort of, like, standard-issue horror film. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and ba- none, of the t- none of the characters have any kind of, you know, it's, you know, they're not really very well-written in any sort of sense. They don't feel like real people yeah. who empathize with them. Then it's use of, actually, body horror, interestingly enough, um, just sort of egregious body horror just feels tonally out of place and like it's just been put in there to just give you a shock just a bit of shock horror which I think is cheap um, and it, it just basically it ruins what would otherwise be a really good premise so that's my opinion on Midsummer. Midsummer on Blast maybe we'll do a full <laughs> Ari Aster on Blast because uh, I know the I know that me putting people on blast seems to be quite entertaining. Um, so that is my opinion on Midsummer, and perhaps this could be a start of uh, talking about horror films in general, get, considering we're given Spooky Tober. Yeah. Um, so there you go. That's, that's that's my thoughts, Patch, and ladies and gentlemen, on Midsummer. Put it in the bin. Yeah, I um, saw Midsummer, and I generally don't watch many kind of horror films. I do like him, but <clears throat> just my uh, my fiance, she's not really into horror. So, and you know, if your partner isn't really into a certain genre of film, then you 
end up not really watching much of that genre um so it's a very rare that i get to see a decent horror film even more so that i don't see horror films at all so but i went to see midsummer and uh i enjoyed it but i didn't really feel like it was a horror movie it was more of just a kind of um like a a thriller you know like a tense thriller uh a bit like the wicker man but you know more millennial and just like trying to be like it had very impressive visuals i really liked the way the film looked in terms of the direction and the imagery of it but yeah yeah like you said the the initial impact that it was trying to put across was kind of lost it was just sort of like oh look at this isn't that weird it's like yes that's that's a bit weird isn't it i was like oh what you gonna do about it it did very much have that spooky tone about it you know where it's just someone presenting you with an image and be like look at this yeah look at that <laughs> it's a bit weird isn't it spooky um no it's a bit yeah I agree I just just sort of like okay this is this is pretty movie but it's not like didn't scare me um you know but you know, we're talking about scary things, Robin. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like we're segueing. I love it. Old Pat just finally gotten off his arse and purchased Resident Evil, the very, the oh. first one. Uh, it's been around for a long ass time, uh, and I figured it's about time. I need to play it. I've been putting it, off, putting it off for ages for no real reason. Otherwise, other than there's just always something else. There's always something else I want to play. But I figured, look, I want to play Resident Evil 2 Remake. I want to play the third one, which the, the remake of 3, which came out this year. Uh, why not just go back to the first? It's a classic game series. I do a gaming and film podcast. I've not played Resident Evil. What's going on? So, yeah, I finally got around to playing Resident Evil. And, uh, yeah, it's what, what that's just a really good game, man. It still seems to hold up after... Oh, God knows how many years it's been around. Um, I mean, I'm playing the remake, which came out in 2015, and the gameplay is updated for kind of more modern gameplay. I don't have to deal with any of like the old tank controls. Graphics look a bit nicer, more akin to Resident Evil 4 than Resident Evil 1. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Really enjoying the mystery of figuring out what's going on in the Spencer Mansion. You know, trying to do the the inventory management uh you know it's it's you know i can see now where the genre survival horror comes from and it's really interesting to get this uh little time capsule of this is this this game spawned a whole host of games inspired by it and it's really cool to go back to the beginning and be like i see i get it i get it um so yeah just really enjoying resident evil and really surprised, given that I have, you know, quite a tertiary knowledge of the Resident Evil series, how much is still managing to surprise me plot-wise. You know, things being revealed, it's like, oh my goodness, that's crazy, and little jump scares as well. You know, it's it's, it's great. Um, I played a bit of 4 in the past, never completed it, and I think I've completed Resident Evil 5 way back in the day. 
Um, but yeah, no, it's really good. I'm really enjoying Resident Evil, guys. If you've never played it before, it was like it was four ninety nine on the PlayStation Store the other day, and that sale might still be on. Probably won't be on <laughs> by the time this episode goes out. But yeah, I get it. It's a good game. I would recommend Resident Evil for the PlayStation Four. Or it's even on the Switch. It's on everything. It's one of those games now that's so old they just put it on everything. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure you can just uh, get it on a Nokia 3310 these days. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that was my little uh, uh, spilling my spilling my beans about Resident Evil because I'm just ah, uh, what a game. I'm really glad you played it because what a game indeed. But I mean, beyond it just being a, a bloody great time. It's also like it's proper gaming, gaming archaeology, you know. Yeah. Um, you can like you can see the the DNA of Resident Evil in so many games now. Yeah, that's um, what I mean. I was uh, like, I make a lot, of, a lot of stuff makes sense to me now in terms of games that I've played recently, especially like with The Last of Us, you know. Yeah. Sorry, what were you gonna say? But, just, just this, uh, so many aspects of it, like um, the use of um, persistent enemies that just will follow you forever, um, the use of tight inventory management, so that you can't just you can't just carry all the stuff that will save you. Yeah. Um, the use of limited ammunition, uh, the use of fixed camera angles, so you can't actually you can't get full perspective on everything. Mm. Um, all of these things that deliberately make you feel, you know, powerless in a in a medium that otherwise is built to make you feel empowered. And oh man, just yeah, I'm glad you played it. I'm glad you're playing it because it's incredible. It's an incredible game. Yeah, like those little limited uh, elements, like the camera angles being fixed and only being able to save at certain rooms. Those are like old fashioned. Uh, you know, gaming relics that I thought would stifle the gameplay and be really annoying, but they really help to sell the atmosphere of the game. And when you do finally make your way to a to a save room, and you hear that music just kick in, and you're just like, "I found another save room." Um, it's just, oh man, it's oh, so good. I'm really enjoying it, and I'm talking about it more now that I think I'm gonna go play it. <laughs> Uh, immediately after recording this because it's just oh it's good so good um, it, it is and it, it's a lot of those um, game design elements that seem when you play Resident Evil and, and you go back to it they do seem anachronistic at first but mm-hmm. then when you start to understand and feel the tone of the game then it makes loads of sense like I mean bonfires in, in Dark Souls they they felt anachronistic when I first played Dark Souls but then you start to understand um, the same way when you hear that music in Resident Evil, when you see that bonfire after you've been, uh, I don't know, trudging through a high-level area in Dark Souls and you just feel that le- that freedom, yeah. that uh, relief. Um, so, but, but that all came from came from Resident Evil. Um, just, just amazing, amazing. Because uh, I, I recently picked up uh, Fallout 4 again, like in the last couple of days because uh, I've been watching a stream of it and it really put me in the mood to go back and play Fallout 4 and it's just like I might start it again on survival mode just to get that feeling of like really limited kind of like limited resources and I think you can only save when you get to like a bed 
or something. Mm. And I think that would really enhance the game for me. Because uh, I played hundreds of hours of Fallout 4 and I was like, yeah, this is good. I like being back in this world, but it's just like, it's just the same old, you know, the same old drag. Um, but yeah, I think if there was more of a survival element to being out in the wasteland it might be good so yeah like resident evil has inspired me to play maybe uh, maybe slightly more difficult games or games in a more difficult uh setting if you know what i mean it's kind of got me in that mood to get kind of to, to be challenged again mm. you know um but i know that since i just wanted to say i'm playing resident evil guys uh if you've never heard of it before it's a it's a capcom game uh came out in uh <laughs> 19 tickety two and it's been around for probably as long as uh your dad so there you go <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. it's it's interesting that you 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 you, you mentioned sort of limited ammo capacities now when when you're out in the wasteland do you do you find yourself running out of am- ammunition a lot because i know <laughs> i certainly do at least until um i found the sponsor of our video shoot crate um, now, they've kindly offered to support the Don't Go Outside podcast, but I have to say, on the record, I actually used Shoot Crate beforehand. It's a very simple system. You send them a message, you tell them what kind of ammunition you use, what kind of weapon you use, and then each month they'll send you out a full package of that ammunition, along with some mystery bullets. They can include poison, incendiary, radioactive bullets, all sorts, and it's brand new every time you open it up. And that excitement, when you get that used tire full of old bullets, it just feels brilliant, it feels freedom, and I mean, there's been many clutch scenarios when it's just arrived, as bandits have been banging down the door of our vault, and then I've been able to repel the invaders and save you know me and Segway and Patch uh, from almost certain flaying and death. Um, so what I would recommend to you is um, go to your nearest outpost, find one of the forums from Shoot Crate, use uh, the offer code DGOAMO for a 25% discount on your first offer and then continue on even a monthly, weekly, daily subscription it depends on the amount of combat you go through but that's what i would recommend to you thanks to our sponsor shoot crate and please check them out that's good that's uh yeah no great sponsor shoot crate really good uh one uh, thing i need to read out uh, as part of the copy is uh, make sure you do put in what type of ammunition you need uh, otherwise, you you'll get you might get screwed over. Uh, you don't want to be getting a crate full of uh, 50 cal bullets when you only have uh, a wee pistol. Uh, just make sure when you're filling out your details, specifically the size of bullets you need, and uh, and shoot crate will do the rest. I do have a question yep. to ask you. Just one final thing. Oh my god! Before Please. we get onto the the episode proper. Um, so you've got, so I know you've been trying to keep busy, uh, I know I've been really busy with my vampire stuff, I feel like we've, we've talked, we've talked enough, we've talked enough about it, long story short, I'm fine, I'm doing well, I just can't go out during the day, and I'm really far behind on what you've been up to, post-apocalypse wise, I did hear you got some sort of job at a laboratory, uh, like a cryogenics lab or something, Maybe there's people who have been frozen before the event, and I had a que- like a hypothetical question relating to your new job. 
at the cryogenics yeah. lab. Listen, your boss comes up to you one day and he says, look, Walt Disney has been unfrozen early. We're not quite ready for him, but he's raring to go. He, we're going to refer him to you because you're the media guy uh, to catch him up on all the years of Disney media uh, he's missed. Walt Disney's back and he can't wait to see what's happened to his precious company. Now, my question is this, Robin. How gently do you let him down in regards to Kingdom Hearts? Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a lot to unpack there. And yes, of course, yeah, I realise we have focused a lot on your vampirism and not, not so much on the fact that I was recently awarded a PhD in cryonics and rejuvenation. Turns out, you know, getting PhDs in the Pocus Apocalypse is a lot easier. It took me two weeks. And yes, I've been working at the, the cryogenics lab nearby, and I, I've been, you know, my main job was to bring people back up to speed after they've been rejuvenated. A lot of the time it scares people, you know, mm-hmm. to just be woken up. And, you know, being woken up in the post-apocalypse isn't great at the best of times. So, yeah, it's a very important job. And Walt Disney is still, I mean, he's still uh, hes still frozen. Uh, he's got another thousand years to go. Um, frozen? But... <laughs> Until that when, copyright runs out on uh, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> that's exactly you it. You can unfreeze him and get him to back. sign it again. That's it. Um, so how would I bring him up to speed about Kingdom Hearts specifically? I mean, I'm going to answer this in two parts. Do you ha- have you have you had anything else filling up your time? Or uh, uh, shall, we, shall we get straight to the meat and potatoes? Yes, one thing I want to mention. I actually wanted to, I actually wanted to talk about this last episode, but I spent too much time talking about Yakuza 0. <clears throat> but uh, once, I've been watching a, a TV series on Netflix um, called A Very Secret Service. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it's French... I don't know how Netflix, uh, the, the algorithm, the, the almighty algorithm, was like, here's a French show, uh, decided to pop it onto my uh, recommended list, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure glad they did, because uh, A Very Secret Service um, is a satirical spy drama set in France in the early 1950s, uh, so it's very, like, stylish... Uh, kind of James Bond, Man from Uncle style uh, spy comedy, um, and I just wanted to give it a shout out because it's it's cool, it's it's really good. Um, yeah, it's uh, like I said, no idea how it ended up on my recommendations, but if you look up a very secret service on Netflix, you're in for a for a fun time of uh, intrigue and. Uh, weird French humour that takes a couple episodes to get used to. You know, you're not sure whether... <laughs> are these guys arseholes or is this is this a joke? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really cool, man. Uh, it's sort of like... The premise is, is like this guy gets inducted into uh, the French Secret Service and the first couple of episodes are all kind of like bureaucracy and they're all quite standalone and you think, like, is this just going to be like each episode is a different like situation you know like a sitcom um but after a while all the different elements in the last couple of episodes they all turns out they they all mean something and there is a bigger plot going on and it's it's really good actually um it's really fun uh cool french show uh makes me feel like a right cinema snob whenever i bring it up 
because I'm like, oh, have you watched uh, Au Service de la France? Everyone's like, what? <laughs> What's that? I was like, oh, it's called a very secret service. It's on Netflix. It's in subtitles. There's no English dub. You just have to get used to it. Um, but it's wicked, man. I recommend it. Um, if you're looking for something new to watch, uh, spy series. Yeah, I'll check it out. And I mean, you've always been a fan of the whole spy stuff, like Winter Soldier. You you wax lyrical about. Yeah, man. Um, I, so just I, like I spy things. Yeah, yeah, spies are cool, man. <laughs> spies are cool. This definitely makes spies. It's like, you know what? I think it's because I watch Archer a lot, and because I just watched The Man from Uncle, because it's very much that type of humor. Um, well, it's got it's kind of like Archer ish humor, where the three top spies in the agency, like, you know, they have to go through the bureaucracy of like handing in the receipts at the end of the month. And it's like handwritten on a napkin, a receipt for like prostitutes they've picked up in like in the colonies. It's like, oh, who's this? It's like, oh, she's one of my informants. She's uh, you know, it's very expensive. You have to take her out, wine and diner. It's like, okay. And then a couple of episodes later, this guy is like, the same guy is like, listen, um, can I get? Are there any benefits for any illegitimate children I might have uh, over <laughs> over in Africa? And like one of those like a B plot of him trying to get like. Uh, get some uh, childcare benefits through the French government it's very like like it's all these little jokes pay off later on in this series um but yeah so that's yeah so it's it's good it's, it's a good time I like it man it sounds like it's got sort of you know I like it when you have a little joke that has a payoff later on you know mm-hmm. lots of little breadcrumbs like that I always enjoy that mm. but yeah I just wanted to give that a shout out uh, just because I uh, I like it, and I think I think I think uh, people might also enjoy it. You know, I don't know who else is watching it. <laughs> it's like a lot of the shows we've been talking about recently. Like, who is this for? What's what's this show about? It's for me, and I like it. <laughs> Thank you, Netflix, for the amount of time we spend yeah. complaining about you. Sometimes you come out with a, a wee nugget. It does. It does. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, so let's let's move on to our our topics of the week and i'm just gonna i'm gonna let you lead um you can choose your first one and then i'll lead with the second one how do you feel about that yeah that's fine that's fine uh because i yes that's fine um yeah so again we're back with this two topic format which i'm really enjoying because it means we can spend more time uh talking mutually about things we've both seen and enjoyed um so on that note Let's kick off uh, Spirit Fairer, uh, which, if you have an accent like mine, is difficult to say. Spirit Fairer, Spirit Fairer, Spirit Fairer, the indie two D platforming delight, Spirit Fairer for Nintendo Switch, PC, <laughs> and whatever the fuck else has been put onto. Spirit Fairer is um is a two D platforming game uh, released earlier this year uh, by. Uh, an indie company, I guess. Thunder Lotus. Uh, Thunder Lotus. Thank you. Uh, and yes, uh, it was it was doing the rounds on social media and on Twitch for a little while, and it caught my eye, and I thought, let's talk about this. It looks charming, and heartwarming, and lovely, and what a what a lovely little game this will be to talk about. Because we do we do like our indie games every now and again. Uh, Robin more so than I. I could be a bit more cynical about these things, but I think that's what makes the reviews uh, so lovely. Um, so yeah, Spiritfarer. Uh, just to say the name again. 
<laughs> I don't think I don't think the listeners got it. It's called spirit fairer. You know, like you fair spirits. You take you take the role of the new ferryman, uh, like the Grim Reaper, to transport spirits from the living of from the world of the living to the world of the dead. Your job is to basically look after them in their transitory period between life and death. And you have to do all sorts of tasks for them uh, to keep them comfortable before they go into the afterlife. You get a lovely little boat. You can travel around a big map. And it's it's really cool. Lots of fun ideas, fantasy-wise. Very pretty art style. 2D, almost, I think, yeah, 2D hand-drawn art style. Uh, very nice chilled music that makes you feel all cosy and warm Um, and yeah it's good it's a nice wee game uh, for the first couple of hours but then I found about maybe hour three hour four I was like this game's still going I thought I'd be finished by now alright I'll just collect more resources yeah cool I'll just cook more things keep keep the spirits happy yeah sure you don't want to go to your uh to the afterlife just yet? No, no. Okay, more, more fetch quests. Great, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, it's it's just maybe too long. Hmm. I would have said. What do you think, Rob? And Robin. <laughs> Glad you remember my name. Um, <laughs> well, so I, I have had multiple thoughts about this. Um, I like the fact that you do just have this ability to just lean into the game and just, yeah. I'm going to do a bit of fishing here, do a bit of farming there, you know, in a very sort of chilled out Stardew Valley kind of kind of, kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would agree that it can be quite slow and it does require you to really just, just pull back and my impulse in, in sort of games that have you know resources to build more stuff is to just basically play them as most uh, as efficiently as I can. Yeah. So it was a real lesson for me to just sort of you know lean back, chill out into the game. And um, once I did that, I suppose uh, I felt far more at ease with what was going on, and I didn't really mind the sort of time it took. That mm-hmm. being said, I don't think it would have lost emotional impact if it was to be sure. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it could have been really... I think it would have worked really well as, like, a maybe two and a half to three hour point and click slash walking sim style game where there's a definitive narrative. Because uh, the, amount, the amount of time I played it, I only managed to get one of the spirits over to the other side. And the story was really nice. Um, seems to be like the first three characters you pick up all had a previous relationship with the main character, you know, in life before yeah. they died. Could have been a really nice story about you know family and uh, and you know the different relationships you have with different family members and closure and dealing with loss. I think it could have been really nice if they just if they just focused on that and made it a short story, but to extend it out into like there's going to be this open world and you can pick up other spirits, but each spirit has different f- meals that they like and they all have different tasks that they like to do and they all have different objectives that you need to go and complete little mini missions. It's like 
I don't think it really suits the narrative of the game, and that's not the type of gameplay I really wanted from that. Um, I should just just to segue very slightly. I completed Death Stranding uh, finally, um, and that in itself is quite a long, thoughtful process of a game. And I wonder if it's because I was just too fatigued from having gone <laughs> gone through a story like that. Death that Stranding I really fatigued. wasn't. Yeah, because Death Stranding, I have to say, is fantastic. But I. But I was watching it finish for about an hour and a half, and I feel like it, it was getting a bit like that with Spiritfarer. Not quite as frustrated, but just sort of like this game doesn't need to be as expansive as it is, you know? I appreciate what the team uh, at Thunder Lotus uh, were trying to do with it, but I just think the the subject matter and the gameplay don't they didn't really work well together for me, if you know what I mean. No, I, I definitely get you because you know fetch quests aren't my kind of aren't my kind of bag either. Yeah, um, I find them quite hard to hard to get on board with, and I think maybe the exact same aesthetic, but yeah, maybe point click. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but mm. then you would lose the sort of relaxed atmosphere that's created by oh, now you need to tend these crops. Um, I think rather than it being a disconnect and, and, and a, a bad choice of game design, I think it's just perhaps that those gameplay beats don't really hit us that that well. Yeah, yeah. Because I suppose, yeah, because I'm not... I've never really been that into the... Uh, Harvest Moon style, um, or, you know, if you were born... After the millennium, uh, what's the the new one? Stardew Valley Stardew. style, yeah, <laughs> you know the the Zoomer version of Harvest Moon, uh, known as Stardew <laughs> Valley. Uh, I've never really been into that style of gameplay, um, just because it, I just feel like it takes too long, and I do like base building stuff, uh, but not as a whole game. I mean, I could probably you could probably find tons of games in my fucking Steam library that go against that very statement, but. Just not what I wanted. I feel like, yeah, the the game was too much busy work and not enough um, selling the the narrative. If you know mm. what I mean. Yes, uh, too much busy work. I guess that that would mm. be my main criticism as well. Yeah, which is a shame because it's a nice game, and I'm glad I'm glad I played it. I'm glad I've experienced it because it really does have a nice, almost calming atmosphere to it when i first booted it up I, I bought it on the switch so I, I i bought it i let it install i went to bed at the end of the day i switched it on and it just kicked in it was like oh this game's gonna be like a big a big hug to keep me warm while i drift off to sleep it is and, it um, is kind of like a big hug you know mm-hmm. you, you mentioned cozy earlier and it's mm-hmm. it, it's definitely cozy yeah and like there's a literal game mechanic where you you can hug people in it which is really nice you know it's cool it's, it, it's i like how the the game explores definitely the the element of easing people's way into the afterlife by making them feel as comfortable and as happy as possible is really positive and i do like that there's things there's tons of things about the game that i like but it just hasn't held my attention for long enough to to really i don't i don't feel like i'll complete it anytime soon you know 
Yeah, I can understand that. I don't think I'll be completing it either. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's um, yeah. But like I say, glad glad I tried it out. It's uh, it's a different different game from I I think from what I'm used to. And as I said, having played a game which uh, Death Stranding, a lot of the themes of that are death and the afterlife and moving on, and that was very. I took a, you know, I think I've just played a game with very similar themes very recently. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. Cool, cool. I mean, if you're up against Hideo Kojima, who, you know, is an insane genius who just spills out all his ideas and crackpot theories about death and the afterlife in a, in a two and a half hour session, I was just like, okay, this is enough death and afterlife and coming to terms with loss and grief for me. Let's, uh, <laughs> Let's go shoot some zombies in the Spencer <laughs> Mansion for a while. <laughs> Let's go fight a giant snake. Um, um, I, I get it, and I can totally understand yeah. that. It, it, almost like theme fatigue, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, really good. I'm I'm keen to see what Thunder Lotus come out with next. Me too. Because yeah. I've, I've not... You know, this kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't really know of them as... Mm-hmm. As a, a as a game developer, so I'm I'm gonna be watching them closely because even if it's just more stuff in that art style, man, wow, um, yeah, it, it it reminds me of the first time I played Bastion, and I was like, I didn't yes. even know an art style like this existed, you know? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just so um, it was so striking, and then ba- and Transistor came out as well. Uh, just wow! So I'm really excited to see where they go with this art style and if they continue it because it's just stunning. Yeah, it's nice. It's really, really pretty game. Uh, and I have to say, some of the songs from the some of the some of the tracks from the soundtrack have made their way into my uh, Dungeons and Dragons playlist. Oh, for when I run games. So you know that's got to be a positive mark against <laughs> against the game. Like uh, that that theme when you first wake up at the start of the day that kind of Thomas Newman-esque kind of piano strings is just oh that's just a just a get, gets me in a very special place emotionally I do like that there's, there's some good it's, there's yeah like it's a very nice it's a very good looking game I would definitely say I did like it um, uh, I just I, as I say I just don't think the gameplay hit me that much Wow. Um, but you know it's funny to say but a game is more than it's gameplay um, mm. it's more than it's mechanics at least more than it's mechanics what I would do with Walt Disney is I would show him Atlantis uh, do you remember Atlantis? yes yes a completely undervalued Disney gem mm-hmm. I'd show him that and I'd be like uh, okay Walt don't watch anything else leave it at that that's wow! Just peak. just Atlantis. I'd say Atlantis. I'd say stop there, man. No black uh, cauldron. Stop. No treasure no planet. Black, no, no. They were they were. I'm saying watch in the sort of Disney timeline up to Atlantis. Oh and then stop. right. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Don't go beyond that point. And um, maybe Princess and the Frog, but you know all their 2D stuff. So I, I would say that. But I mean, if it's Kingdom Hearts, I need to explain specifically and what happened to it. I would say, so how would I how would I explain this to 
<laughs> so Uncle Walt's back from the dead. He, you know, he's a problematic character. He's heard that the Japanese have been tampering with his IP and he's not too happy about it. For some some reason they've stolen my precious Mickey Mouse and they've turned him into a <laughs> into an anime character. How do you on a scale of one to ten, how pissed off do you think he is with Kingdom Hearts? Right, I mean, well, if I was to try and explain Kingdom Hearts in a nutshell, I would say it's, you know all of your, your properties, all of the different characters that were involved in Disney, if we encapsulate them as different siloed off stories that are described as planets, and on each planet a different one of these stories lives. And then there is a way to travel between these different planets, and then if characters came off of those planets, they could interact, almost like a solar system. But instead of real celestial bodies, it's representations of your characters. And you can travel between them, and you play as a, a newly invented character who is, a, who is accompanied by your beloved Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Goofy, which I don't know if I don't know if Walt Disney ever met Goofy, but still, has um, <laughs> he never met him? Yeah, he met Goofy for sure. No, I don't know about that. But anyway, um, so so um, they this band of adventurers go to these different worlds, and some of the worlds are allowed to interact with each other, and it basically serves as a way for a someone who enjoys Disney to interact with these characters in a far more real-time and lifelike fashion as opposed to passively consuming your cartoons. Alright, I think you've brought him around. Like, Uncle, now, Uncle Walt is nodding. He's lighting up one of his classic <laughs> cigarettes that he got frozen with. He says, don't tell... Then, people aren't supposed to know I'm smoking, but this sounds, sounds interesting. Yeah. I'd have to say, I'd have to say, Walt, stop after Kingdom Hearts one. Um, not because, not because it gets bad, because I, as far as I understand, it, it continues to be good. Uh, I would basically say, Walt, it gets really confusing, and you've got enough to, to try and catch up on, man. He's got I mean, 3D got animation to, and, to get his head around. I mean, he's got TikTok to get his head around. I mean, it's going to be hard. Um, so I would say, look, the 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 extended lore of the Kingdom Hearts universe becomes just, just, I mean, infeasible to anyone who doesn't have, you know, a galaxy brain. You so saying, maybe hold that, hold off that for now. You saying maybe play the first one and then come back yep. around to the series when you've had a bit more time to adjust? That's, that's what I'd say. That's good. That's really good, man. You've, uh, that was, uh, a test interview question <laughs> for working at the cryogenics lab. That's a good example of your crisis negotiation skills, you know, bringing around an old-fashioned man to new-fashioned uh, things. He's been frozen for a thousand years, so, you know, his mind's probably a little muddled up. Speaking about, uh, speaking of things hitting things a lot. <laughs> oh, seamless, seamless, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, what's our next topic, Robin? Uh, primal. Primal. Um, and to listeners who don't know what Primal is, 
um, because we spoke about it on an earlier episode, but you know, who, who no, knows? No, you know what? Interestingly enough, this is something we've been meaning to bring up for a few episodes now, but um, I don't think we've ever actually covered it on an ep- on the podcast yet. Oh my! Um, yeah, well, let me introduce it. Um, so Primal is um, made by Gennady Tartajowski, who is the mind behind Samurai Jack. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, the, I the Clone think, Wars. I don't think I would be misspeaking here by saying Primal is sort of a spiritual successor to Samurai Jack. Um, yeah, it definitely has the Samurai Jack uh, energy about it. So stark contrast, contrasting art style, um, sort of very, uh, very detailed background, light boxes, and then sort of just very clear cut, bold shapes in the foreground that that are animated, um, and a very sort of like movement heavy, movement then stop heavy uh, art style. So there, mm-hmm. there's a strong onus on the final. Mo- final sort of frames of the movement um yeah which which gives everything real impact um and like strong use, use of very bold colors and contrasting colors it's just i mean the art style is is it's very i mean if you've distinct. seen samurai jack or the clone wars then you, you know what the the art style is all about it's just more feels more raw in this series it's very very uh thematic with the with this the themes of the show um and the music is done by tyler bates of of 300 fame and um, so it's all very you know tyler bates is very good at making a, a, a soundtrack that is good for violence basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he's, he's yeah. very good at that um, boy is this a violent show my god i love it but yes uh so what we're talking about specifically is there was the first five episodes and they were released last year of season one and the episodes six and seven have just been released uh, with a few more to come mm-hmm. um, and, so- and Robin Robin what what is what is uh, uh, Primal what's it about you, you've not actually t- told, told us what Primal's about yet? Well, I mean, I was building a setup. Uh, I was building a setup which was based on an architecture of understanding of who made this before I was to deliver what the actual plot was. But thank you for moving me oh, along. Okay, there. it's uh, almost uh, like my brain can follow a real narrative rather than spunking my load all at once, Patch. Oh my god, that's hurtful. <laughs> um, I just felt like I was like, we've not, we've not, we've not uh, said what the show is yet. But uh, it's, no, sorry. I apologize for uh, throwing off your groove uh, uh, quite severely. I can I can slip straight back into it. So the show yeah. in 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 whole follows the story of a caveman and a dinosaur that mm-hmm. make friends and then go on adventures together. It's as simple as that. And then each episode is sort of a semi disconnected one shot. Similar to Samurai Jack, where our protagonists are faced with a problem, generally in the sense of monsters, they fight them, there's victory at the end, a reprise, and then we go on to the next episode. Um, And there's very different landscapes, very different monster design in each episode, and they all contribute to sort of a larger 
motion through the whole narrative of the of the first season and there's a building relationship between the caveman and the dinosaur as they sort of begin to trust each other more and develop a deeper relationship mm-hmm. um and so that's that's the sort of the basic premise i mean it's the it's the same as samurai jack it's very simple premises samurai jack was a samurai who was sent forward in time boom there you go primal is okay what if a caveman and a carnivorous dinosaur were friends go yeah no i like the relationship build up of like they don't really trust each other for the first couple of episodes and then it slowly builds up and then by the end of it you know they're working you know they work together and it's uh yeah it's and the fact that it's a series with zero dialogue as well it's incredible the way like it's just storytelling through visuals and like facial expressions and uh, actions is really cool really uh, really refreshing to see there's that word again um but yeah no i really love it it's really cool just something incredibly different uh from adult swim uh i think like a passion project seems like just gendy dark Gendy Tartakovsky has been trying to get seems like he's been trying to get off the ground for a while and this is finally like it's come to fruition um and it's so cool it really really it's just that's all <laughs> I can just keep saying how, how awesome and cool and and fantastically exciting it is just to once a week just to see a caveman and a dinosaur fight monsters in a fantasy prehistoric setting it's just pfft. it's just so oh. utterly compelling um, uh, and I never thought something that would have absolutely no dialogue would be this compelling. But my mm. God, I just want to dip into it more. I want to see more of the world. <laughs> I'm desperate to see it. But I suppose, you know, when they've front loaded so much effort and so much time into creating something that that stunning, that beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. it does all the storytelling without dialogue. It doesn't need it. It makes this encapsulating yeah. world. But yeah, just, uh, I mean, an incredible, a tour de force, better than Samurai Jack, I would even say. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I've not even seen that much of Samurai Jack, but this definitely held my attention a lot more. Um, I've not seen the latest episode, I saw the first of the new run, um, and at the end of it, like, I almost texted you, just being like, oh, this show is so fucking cool! <laughs> I was so excited at the end of it. I was like, yeah! Uh, uh, yeah, man. Uh, um, I was going to say something more constructive uh, than that, but um, I think my brain just kind of fucking popped. It got too excited um, about something like that. I definitely think one of the, one of the things that's very... that is present in both Samurai Jack and Primal is it's an almost stark lonely beauty which is i don't know how to describe it it's almost like there is you know an empty landscape but you know it's not empty it is there it, you know it's living there's stuff in it yeah but yeah, it just yeah. feels stark you know i'm not sure mm. i don't know the word stark just keeps coming to my mind and i can't articulate it better than that but i think anyone who watches it or sees the art style will understand what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, 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 I get it. It's like, you get the feeling that between episodes, the two characters are just wandering the wilderness, like, foraging for food for days on end. Yeah. And whenever they do come into contact with another 
uh, with another creature or a monster is it's only because that creature or monster wants to eat them because there's still very little resources in this prehistoric world. It's just everything's out to kill you. Um, I love seeing the evolution of the of the human character Spear I think his name is the characters have canonical names I think it's Spear it's and Spear Fang, and Fang. <laughs> yeah very so complicated Spear, hi so I love seeing the the caveman Spear his uh, sometimes as an episode goes on his problem solving like uh, you could see kind of how, like you know early man figuring out how to use tools and build stuff it's like oh that's cool I love to see this you know the the I like to see that from like uh, you know cavemen being like, oh, I'm gonna tie some ropes to get make a rope and make a make some uh, stretcher so I can carry this wounded creature around. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's cool. I don't know. I just like that element of it as well. I really like, there's... I really like that as well because you know it provides that little bit of progression, um, uh-huh. which which is you know it, it's just all these little bits, you know, that, that really mm. grab you and, and make you engage with with all the aspects and the characters. Mm. Um, it's just just um, to, to sort of, you know, focus in on, you know, we've got to make some mentions to spooky and horror and stuff. That's it's this time of the year. Um, so in the second episode of the new run, which would make it the seventh episode, mm-hmm. um, there, the plot is essentially... Uh, some I think they're called brachiosaurs, big tall dinosaurs. Um, sure. First dinosaurs you see in Jurassic Park uh, after the Velociraptor scene at the start. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and these normally peaceful um, herbivores, one of them becomes infected with a rabies-like virus and goes goes wild and uh, chases our protagonists. But amazing! Don't tell me anymore. Say, <laughs> I want to watch. I've not seen it. <laughs> won't say a word. But you know, it's it's very that sounds same, great. It's the same plot as all of the other episodes. Our protagonists <laughs> <meet>. <laughs> exactly. Every episode's the same. It's like big monster <laughs> fights man, and you're like, yes, <laughs> yes, show me more. <laughs> Do this. <laughs> this isn't boring somehow. Um, but one of the things that I thought was incredible is the depiction of this infection that this this dinosaur has it's so grotesque and so mm-hmm. so much body horror and it's dripping and seething and it's just and obviously it you know it's very stark bold colors you know it, mm-hmm. it's it's clearly unreal but oh you can you feel the boils you can see the rot it's it's just great just great sweet sounds real cool um yeah so primal uh, i'm glad we finally get to talk about it on the podcast um because i've been wanting to give it a shout out for a little while uh especially with uh the mandalorian season two comes out at the end of october um might be out by the time this episode comes out who knows it's been a it's been, uh but yeah if you like i'm just i was just that was on my mind because I'm thinking if people like The Mandalorian, you'll probably like uh, Primal as well. Because it is just the dynamic of these two characters that don't know each other very well. Mm. And showing how... Basically showing how they interact with this mysterious, big, scary world around them. And each episode is kind of standalone as well. So you don't exactly have to watch All in a Warner. If you see an episode, don't worry about, oh, will this spoil what happened before? 
probably not. Just big man fight, big monster, dinosaur help out. Uh, fun times, man. Love it. I think it's one of these things I could pretty much recommend it to anyone because the art style is just so it's so unique and so mm-hmm. beautiful that even if you're not into cartoons, you could still watch 20 minutes of this and just be like, that's that's really something to look at, you know? Aye. And especially with like how horrifying and um, savage everything is for the whole first series until you get to the last episode of the series and like the first 20 minutes are just them chilling out in this lagoon which is all beautifully depicted and you just get this overall sense of like calm like the save like the resident evil save room feeling of like oh finally they found a place just to chill where nothing's out to kill them and they can just have a nice time and like the first 15 minutes of the episode are just them mucking around in a lagoon it's it's great it's great can we make uh the resident evil save room feeling canon in the vault for whenever you're feeling peaceful yeah i've put a typewriter in my in my in my room just to get that uh vibe <laughs> every time i go every time i come home from a night at the thunderdome i i get my ink ribbon out i do click click clack ting and i uh and i go to bed and it's like you know i'm safe at last Safe. I know you've got. I know you've got your little Dark Souls bonfire in your room as well. So that's. Uh... <laughs> we all. We all have. We all have a Resident Evil bonfire uh, of our own. Uh, that's uh, what. <laughs> uh, I don't know why that's just. It's just tickling me. It's kicking me right in the giggle. This. Good. Eh? Um, but I, I mean, yeah, that that is exactly how that episode feels. So that's that's mm-hmm. episode five, and yeah, it's just you know you, you relax, and then I suppose it it provides so much more impact to when towards to the second half of the episode where the, uh-huh. you know the proverbial really hits the fan. It does indeed, uh, yeah, and it just it's honestly yeah, like ups the ante, like just, and then yeah, because I thought that was the end of it the last episode i just figured oh that's it finished what a great ending for this show just, oh, just really really good impactful ending but then uh, there's two more episodes now and i was like oh okay this is gonna continue and i'm really glad how they uh i was skeptical i was like oh they're just gonna pull some bullshit and it's all gonna be fine but no you actually feel that they've earned narratively you feel that the characters have earned their way out of the situation they were in at the end of the um, the fifth episode. So yeah, no, I'm glad now that it's back yeah. after being slightly sceptical. I'm like, no, it's good. It's still great. Love it. I I'm think... probably going to watch the, second, the new episodes after this, I think, as well as Resident Evil. <laughs> I've got a lot of things on my plate tonight. <laughs> I, I think you're... Uh, it's probably important for you to, to hammer home that point you just made about how they they really earned it because yeah. they could have they could have just pulled some Deus Ex Machina bullshit and just said everything's fine um, yeah. episode 6 we're just back to a brand new adventure but instead of that they made episode 6 like a really difficult slog for the characters yeah, to yeah. regain their sort of status that they were in before and if they hadn't have done that the whole 
the whole thing would have lost lost the impact, a lot of the impact it has. But because they did that, it's you know they're allowed to fire back in, give us another four episodes, you know. That exactly. I think that's yeah. I think the the slog and the struggle that the characters went through in episode six, and then the final payoff at the end when it's all great was why I why I was so close to just all caps texting you primal is so fucking cool because <laughs> <laughs> so, I was just so I was, I was like back on top here we go it's great yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah no we'd definitely recommend primal would go outside for any day of the week yeah I mean I would run outside for primal it's mm-hmm. it's a good thing and um, exactly. would you go outside for spirit fair um. Oh, now this is a hard one. I think more. This is more difficult than primal. Primal for me is this: no questions asked. Just, just take me out. Uh, <laughs> take me out. Yeah. Just, I will. I'll go out. I'll go dashing out for primal anytime. Uh, but yeah, if I, if you were to ask me, would I go outside into the radioactive wasteland of the post-apocalypse for Spirit Fairer? Um, I'd say no, but mm-hmm. with the caveat of I'm glad I did. I'm glad I know about it, mm. and I I'm leaving the door ajar for Thunder Lotus's next project. If you know, if that makes sense. No, that I, I the, totally if the analogy it. works, you know. Um. I would say I would go outside because, you know, I, I'm, I just, I, I really appreciated that warm, cosy feeling that it gave me. And just, you know, mm-hmm. chill out, sit off the back of the boat, do a bit of fishing. Um, and, you know, learn how to cope with loss at the same time. Because mm. I, I think one of the important narrative points and gameplay points is maybe is the aspect that you can just hang about on this boat uh, uh, and fish and farm and not actually progress where you need to let go of any of the characters that, that are on the boat mm-hmm. and you have to actively choose to let them go um so i think there's a lesson in that but yes so for making me feel that way and have that sort of like level of peace yeah i would go outside for spare affair okay that's that's Fair, a fair statement. But I completely yeah. agree with, uh, you know, we definitely need to leave the vault door jar for Thunder Lotus. Um, yeah. Or maybe, I don't know, leave a, send them a little message of like, give them a special knock code so, you know, they can do a secret knock and we can let them in. I don't know, we'll work something out. Yeah, yeah, no, so Thunder Lotus, if uh, by some, if by some chance you hear this review, um, yeah, just give us a shout uh, next time you release something, post it to our vault. Uh, and we'll we'll give it a look for well, sure, man. Actually, to be honest, our delivery system—they would need to post it to John Favreau, and then John Favreau <laughs> sends it to oh, us. Oh yeah, the John Favreau has become a postman, yeah. <laughs> the post-apocalyptic well, postman. You need to. I don't think you remember our lore <laughs> as much as you should. It's because... because I make up so much of the lore just on the fly, on the spot, and then I have to go back and go, oh yeah, I pictured John Favreau. Cosplaying as the postman from Legend of Zelda. <laughs> Do you know the guy I'm thinking of? Yes. That's his job in the post-apocalypse is to deliver us VHS tapes of the Mandalorian whenever they come out because we can't watch them yet. He's like, "Don't worry, <laughs> I've got it." He's 
got his bunny ears hat on. He's got his his jogging his his like your little white white wife beater top on, and he's got. I have a VHS tape for you. Uh, but so John Favreau is is also John Favreau. <laughs> yeah, he's John Favreau, just dressed as the postman from uh, the Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. Uh we need to we need to just do a full lore episode one of these days. Uh, well, yeah, one day we'll we'll gather some gather some data from the past few episodes and figure it out. Bash them out on my Resident Evil brand ta- brand typewriter. <laughs> well, this has been this has been a cracking episode, Patch. I've I've really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, it's been good, man. We covered a lot. Uh, not not a particularly over the top spooky Halloween episode, but we got some good uh, jumps and scares. There were some Dare I say there. jump scares in there. So yes, uh, happy Halloween, everyone! Happy October! Uh, it's getting colder. The nights are drawing in. This is I realized. I realized this recently, Robin. This is my favorite time of year. Like you know, just when the sun goes down early and there's like that kind of autumn smell in the air. Mm. It's just oh, I love it. I can't get enough of it. Um. But you know, in the post-apocalypse, that you kind of have to mix mix in the scent of uh, of tire fires and uh, and you know nuclear waste as well. But uh, that... I mean, we don't really have seasons anymore. But the, that's true. There is the whole um, you know mutant interpretation of Halloween, where they just core out people's skulls and then. Um, go around and have various um, living members of the human community donate parts of their children to go into the skulls. Uh, it's, it's an interesting interpretation of the old the old Halloween concept. Things have changed a lot now. Truly horrifying. And that's coming from me, a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've done some things to survive as a vampire, you know. But no, what the super mutants are doing is uh, truly reprehensible, and I don't uh, endorse it at all. I say bring back, uh, you know, candy and pumpkins down with carving out skulls. That's just it's too far, if you ask me. It's a bit far. A bit far, mate. Um, um, well, <laughs> that's that's another episode of Don't Go Outside, folks. Um, thank you for sticking with us this long. I hope Thanks so much for a, joining us. A, a spooky October, uh, not too spooky, but I hope it's good fun spooky. And you know, you drink lots of pumpkin themed, sweetened, globalistic beverages. Um, okay, yeah, and perhaps eat some sweets and uh, have an overall nice time. And as we always say, don't go outside, guys, because. Old Uncle Walt Disney has heard about Kingdom Hearts and he's not happy. (laughs) (laughs) He's on the rampage. Don't Go Outside is your podcast broadcast from the post-apocalypse, brought to you by Patch and Robin. If you enjoyed this episode of Don't Go Outside, why don't give us a follow on Spotify or subscribe to us on iTunes, and you'll be updated whenever a new episode is released. You can also find episode updates and other fun news on our Instagram feed at dgo underscore podcast.